Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this evening to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, and you'll find this on page 29 in the Church Bibles. And we'll be reading uh, we'll be reading the whole chapter. This is God's word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place when he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. And she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. 
the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padam Aram. Jacob, and Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, uh, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. We have been uh, looking at the life of Jacob over the last number of weeks. And one of the things that we have been trying to emphasize is, is that Jacob's life teaches us something about grace. That the story of Jacob is woven through this theme of understanding grace. Jacob was a schemer. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. Jacob was someone who put himself first. And yet this unlikely candidate becomes the object of God's favor and blessing. In fact, before Jacob was even born, uh, there was a word from the Lord saying that the older would serve the younger. That God had chosen Jacob to be the recipient of his blessings even before uh, Jacob had been born. Before, as Paul says, he had done anything either good or evil. And so as we watch and walk through the story of Jacob together, we see how this man is chosen by God uh, to be the recipient of his blessings. But another theme that uh, really pulls together the life of Jacob is the vow that Jacob made. You remember that when Jacob fled from his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. Uh, because he had uh, stolen or he had deceived him and had ultimately taken the blessing that uh, he was expecting, that Jacob had to flee. But when he fled, he had a dream. It was uh, a dream from God. And in that dream, he dreamed that there were angels ascending and descending on a staircase that went from earth to heaven. And in that dream, he saw the presence of the Lord. That dream uh, gripped Jacob so much that when he woke up, he said, God was in this place and I did not know it. And so he called that place house of God. I was standing in God's house. But Jacob made a vow that night. He vowed to God, if you bring me back to this place then you will be my God. And really the story of Jacob is seeing the faithfulness of God in Jacob's life through all the trials and all the tragedies and all the heartaches that he goes through. God's purposes carry on with Jacob. That God would bring him back to the land of his father's kindred. That God would bring him back to this very place. And so that vow that was made so long ago 
stands in the background to what we are looking at this evening. It is the fulfillment of Jacob's vow, but it's also the faithfulness of God's promise being realized. And this evening, as we are looking at this chapter, we want to see that because God's purposes will prevail in the midst of sin and death, we can have confidence in God. You remember that after uh, uh, Jacob had uh, made uh, his way back to his land, uh, Jacob uh, settled in the land of Shechem. It told us earlier uh, that he uh, came to the city of Shechem and then he set up uh, a settlement there that he purchased land uh, um, uh, in that area. Um, uh, earlier on, he bought uh, for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And so Jacob seems to have been intending to settle in Shechem, not far from Bethel, but not Bethel itself, which should strike us uh, in an odd way because Jacob had made that vow that if God had brought him back to this place, then he would be his God. But Jacob didn't go all the way back to Bethel. He stopped short in Shechem. And that should strike us as odd in another reason, because when God came to Jacob later on, uh, Jake, God came to Jacob and said, I am the God of Bethel, the God before whom you made a vow. And so it is, an, again, an allusion to the fact that Bethel is this place of meeting with God. It is this place where God's promise was made to Jacob and where Jacob's vow was made. But Jacob didn't ultimately make it back to Bethel initially. He settled in Shechem, and then tragedy came upon the family. And you remember that when that tragedy came upon the family, uh, Jacob was passive. He was silent. He kept his peace about what had happened to his own daughter. And his passivity, his quietness, gave an opportunity uh, a door was opened for his zealous sons to act out with uncontrolled zeal. Uh, they became vigilantes and brought their wrath upon the city of Shechem. And then Jacob, as a result, was gripped with fear because he saw himself as overwhelmed by the surrounding neighbors. He said there, do you not know uh, that they could, uh, the land around us, you're bringing trouble on me. Uh, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few. And if they gather against me and attack me, I should be destroyed, both me and my household. And so Jacob here was uh, gripped with fear, uh, even uh, in the response uh, of his sons to that tragedy. Well, this evening we want to see what happens next, and we want to look at this chapter in two thoughts. We want to think about the command that was given, and then secondly, about the confirmation uh, that is given uh, as well. First, there is the command. In verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. As mentioned, uh, Jacob fell short. Uh, he did not have a complete obedience uh, to fulfilling that vow. Uh, he seemed to have been satisfied with the city of Shechem, uh, that it seemed more attractive for him to settle. 
Uh, and so uh, as a result here, God has to intervene. He has to confront Jacob and tell him uh, to go all the way to Bethel. But you notice here there's a difference in Jacob. Whereas before he was keeping his silence and he did not ultimately go to Bethel. Now there's a change in Jacob. But you notice the cause of that change is not the crisis that he has just passed through. Many people go through crises in life. It doesn't necessarily alter the way that they live. A crisis itself does not change a person. What changes the direction of Jacob here is God's own initiative. It's because God intervenes. It's because God confronts Jacob and tells him, it's time to go to Bethel. Go to the place of Bethel and there set up an altar. There fulfill your vow. There make it clear that I have been faithful to bring you back to this place. And we see something of God's grace again in Jacob's life. That in all of Jacob's maneuvering and in all of Jacob's decisions, God confronts Jacob and continuously is directing Jacob in the way to go. And that's, that's what happens in the life of the believer. That God, by his word and through the convicting work of his spirit, is confronting us with sin, is directing us in the way that we are to go, so that uh, we might not be left to our own devices. Uh, it is always God's initiative that is ultimately directing uh, his people. So there's the command of God. But there's also the command of Jacob. In verses 2 and following, uh, we see Jacob's commandment uh, to his own household. Jacob said uh, to his household and to all those who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. There's something of a, a reflection on the spiritual condition of this family at this point in time. Here's a patriarch of the faith. Here is Jacob, whose own family is mixed in their loyalties where idolatry is in the very family, in the very community of the people of God. And so Jacob here is confronting his own family and directing his own family as to how to respond. He tells them they are to put away their foreign gods and let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob here is testifying to his family. He is exhorting his family where to put their loyalties, how they are to live. But that involves Jacob here confronting them about what he has seen in them, in their turning away uh, to foreign gods. You remember earlier that Rachel stole the household gods of her father Laban. Uh, but there's more going on here than Rachel's own actions. You see that because in verse 4 it talks about how they, in the plural, uh, brought forth their foreign gods. That they uh, were uh, a plurality of people uh, that were mixed up in idolatry. And most likely here we see uh, uh, a compromise of their loyalties uh, that could be attached back to Shechem. Uh, remember that when the sons of Jacob attacked the city, 
Uh, they raided the city and they took whatever they wanted for themselves. And in verse 4, it tells us that they came bringing forward their foreign gods and they brought forward uh, the rings that were in their ears. Uh, this isn't talking about ordinary jewelry here. Uh, these are talking about amulets, uh, symbols, little ornaments that would be used as uh, trinkets of protection and security. Uh, people would appeal to these uh, ornaments uh, as their refuge, uh, as their source of blessing. And so here Jacob is telling them to put away this idolatry, to put away these foreign gods, and rather to turn to the God who had made promises to him at Bethel. And so he's really uh, challenging them about their loyalties. Again, this uh, is probably most likely attached uh, to their uh, raid against Shechem. But you think back of what had happened in Jacob's own life. Jacob met with his brother Esau, and he's filled with fear. Jacob comes to Shechem, and, and they disgraced his daughter, and Jacob holds his peace. The sons of Jacob attack Shechem, and Jacob is still gripped with fear about what they're going to do to him. And all of this exemplified in Jacob's life at least opens up the door for people to look elsewhere for their security. Jacob, where is your, your confidence in your God in facing your brother? Why is it that fear so grips you? Jacob, why is it that you're so concerned about the men of Shechem when God has made a promise to you? And at the very least, you can see how there would be this attractiveness to look to alternative sources for security when Jacob himself is faltering in his own faith, when his own faith is imperfect, his own confidence is shaken, when he's faced with real dangers. And so here we see his family has been at least attracted towards the idea of turning towards household, uh, foreign gods. And so he is exhorting them here to put away those foreign gods, uh, to change their garments, and to purify themselves. Why? Because they're coming to Bethel. Because they are coming to the house of God. And as they come into God's presence, Jacob is saying, we need to be cleansed because we're filthy. We need to be cleansed because of who it is that we are coming before is altogether pure. Do you remember the story of Joseph? You young people, do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was the one who could interpret dreams. He was the one who saved the Egyptians and the Canaanites from the famine that came over several years. Joseph was the one who was granted the wisdom and discernment how to govern a people during a time of crisis. But do you remember how that dream interpreter was treated when he was brought before Pharaoh? What happened to Joseph? Before you stand in the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph, you will be cleaned up. You will be shaven. You will be put on with new clothes. Why? Because Joseph was in a prison. He was filthy. 
but more than that because Joseph was coming to stand before the king. Because Joseph was going to stand before someone great. And Joseph had to show a sense of honor towards one who was great. Jacob now is teaching his family, we are coming before someone great, the king of kings. And we need to be purified. We need to be cleansed. And Jacob is saying that not just about an outward cleansing, but he's talking about an inward cleansing. Even when he says that they need to change their garments, again, the most likely connection there is back to their raid against Shechem. The association of what had just taken place in that violence. And so Jacob is telling them, we need to put off these sins. We need to disconnect. We need to disassociate from our guilt. We need to turn from these things because we are coming into God's presence. And so Jacob here is really commended because he is, he is now speaking to his family. He is leading his family in righteousness, teaching them how they are to live. We live in a post-enlightenment era. We live in a very individualistic uh, part of the world where we tend to think only about ourselves and we are very sensitive towards any notion of imposing our belief on other people. I don't want to be guilty of intruding or crossing over the line as to telling someone else what they should believe. But notice here that one of Jacob's finest moments is here telling his family, let us go to Bethel, to the God who has been with me wherever we have gone. It was not wrong for Jacob to instruct his family. It was exemplary. It was Jacob putting himself down in order to lift up his family. This wouldn't have been an easy thing for Jacob to do, to tell his family, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves. Because for one thing, how long did Jacob know about the foreign gods in his own household and said nothing? How hard would it have been for his own children to poke at Jacob and to say, what about you, Jacob? What about your own lack of faith? What about your own fears, Jacob? And so when Jacob is doing this, it's not a, from a position of superiority. It's not from a position that Jacob has it all together. But it's because Jacob is convinced that it is true. And so he is seeking to lead others in what is true. To look to the God who is proven faithful. To look to the God who has promised his blessing. To look to the God who has made himself known to him. Jacob is going to fulfill his vow. And his God is going to be shown to being faithful. So we see here uh, uh, the Lord's command is also matched by Jacob's command. Jacob's counsel, though, to his family is uh, a reminder, especially uh, to the parents, uh, of our responsibility, not only to be following the Lord ourselves, but to be promoting faith in our own family. 
the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, the privilege is having the oracles of God communicated to you. That is the privilege. But if fathers and mothers are not communicating that, if fathers and mothers are not teaching their young people the way in which they should go, they are not blessing them. Jacob here is doing it now. He is telling them to look to the Lord who has made his promises to them. And so we should be doing the same in our own families. Jacob uh, then uh, counsels them uh, to put off the foreign gods, to put away the foreign gods, to purify themselves and to change their garments. You can, you can see Paul's imagery, where it comes from. You can see the language of the New Testament here in the Old When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, what does he tell them to do? He says, put off your old self and put on the new self created uh, in God's grace according to uh, be in the likeness of God, according to righteousness and holiness. What's Paul talking about? Take off your filthy clothes and live as those who have been purified, those who have been made right with God because you live now in the presence of God of Almighty God. You live now before God by His grace in Jesus Christ. And so when we think about the life of Christianity, Christianity does involve things that we are not to do, things that we are to do, a bunch of do's and don'ts. But it's more than just a moral code. It is a life lived knowing God's grace and being shaped accordingly. It is, it is knowing how God has uh, transformed us uh, by his son and now leads us uh, by the spirit to put off the idols of the heart and to be renewed in our thinking. So eventually it tells us that Jacob made his way to Bethel and so fulfilled his vow and God was shown to being faithful. He brought him back to the place where he had been. And so Jacob's story comes full circle. The story of Jacob here is coming to an end. And yet it's also introducing a new beginning. That God's purposes continue on. Even as he comes back uh, to this very important place in his own life. And so there is the command. But there's also uh, the confirmation. We're told that God appeared to Jacob again and blessed him. And God's grace was communicated to Jacob by reiterating that he is no longer to be called Jacob, but he is to be called Israel. This is something that has already been told to Jacob, but it's something that Jacob needs to hear again and again. He needs to be convinced and confirmed about his identity. He is no longer to be known and identified as one who grasps but rather he is to be known and identified as one who strives with God. That his identity is ultimately not bound by what he has done in the past. His identity is determined and declared by God. Who he is, is what God says. 
Imagine you meet a, an old acquaintance this week. You meet someone that you knew 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago. That old acquaintance, you used to work with them. You went to school with them. They were a neighbor of yours. They come up to you and they say, I remember you. And then they begin to recollect something that you said a long time ago. They call attention to something you did. And they define you by that. That can be crushing. When one's past defines you. You can't escape that because that's what you did. You are in this endless circle of condemnation. You're bound by your, your history, by your past. There's no, there's no good news in that. But the good news of Christianity is, is that you are not bound by the failings that you have committed. But that God's grace triumphs even over our failures. Jacob will not be forever known by his sin. He will be defined by his encounter with God. And so he is being confirmed here about his identity so that he would know how he is to live. The good news of Christianity then is if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. When a person comes to believe in Jesus as their savior, they have a new identity. They have been given a new name, the Bible says. They are who God says they are. And that's liberating. You think about even what happens in corporate worship. At the end of every corporate worship, we have something that we call a benediction. What is a benediction? Benediction simply means a good word. A good word that is pronounced on the people of God. We talk about things like the Arionic benediction. That is the good word that was pronounced by the priests on the people of God in the Old Covenant. It tells us the Lord's blessing was communicated on them. But at the end of it, it would say, and so God placed his name on them. What's the good word? It's to know the Lord has blessed us. It's to know that God's peace rests upon us. It's to know that God's grace, God will be gracious unto us. That is how I am now to go out and to live in this world, knowing the favor of God. Well, how is the Christian to live? We are to go into this world having the benediction pronounced upon us. To have a good word that by trusting in God's grace in Jesus Christ, we go out knowing that the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit leads and guides us. So when we ask the question, who exactly am I? If you are trusting in Jesus... You can say, I am one who is living in communion with God. One who is saved by the Lordship of Christ. One who is a child of God through faith. That's who I am. My story has many ups and downs. But my identity is on God's terms. It's defined by God's word. And so as we look at Jacob's story, we see a man who, in all the ups and downs, what is constant is the word of God. And what Jacob needs to be confirmed in is who he is before this God. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but you will be known as Israel. 
The second thing that Jacob is confirmed in is God's promise. In verse 11, it says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up uh, from him in that place. There are clear parallels here with the experience that his grandfather Abraham had. There are clear parallels that are trying to be stressed here. That just as God made a promise to Abram, so he is making promises to Jacob. That in both encounters, they are given a new name, which means they have a new direction in life. In both encounters, the name God Almighty is being used. In both encounters, they are describing the promise of an assembly of nations. Literally, you can translate that as a church of nations. It's the idea of a gathering of the nations under the blessing of God's work. And finally, it mentions that God was going up from them. Not only was Jacob to be confirmed in his understanding of himself, but he was to be confirmed in his understanding of God's purpose to bless sinners and of gathering the nations to be his people. Jacob needed to be confirmed in that as well, in spite of death and in spite of sin. A lot of things all are packed together in this chapter. It tells us about the death of Rebecca's nurse, something that obviously greatly affected Jacob, uh, based on the way that he describes that place. But there's other deaths that strike even closer to Jacob. We're told that Jacob's own wife, Rachel, dies. That when she was to give birth to her son, Joseph, you remember she wanted children. And even when she did have a child, she longed for another child. When she had Joseph, it was, may the Lord add another one. But when she had that other child, she died in the process. And she was to name that child Benoni, son of my sorrow. But Jacob would not allow his son to be identified by death. Instead, he would identify his son by God's blessing, son of my right hand. And so Jacob here, in the midst of death, is looking to God to confirm his purposes. God's purposes continue in the midst of death. Ultimately, he will come back to the land. He will come and he will encounter uh, Isaac, his father Isaac. And when his father dies, it tells us that both Esau and Jacob buried him. Death continues to be part of the experience of life. But in the midst of death, we are to be certain that God's purposes will prevail. God is faithful to bless sinners, and we are to trust that even when surrounded by death. That's how Isaac lived. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. He looked ahead and he believed that God's promised blessing would be given to Jacob's offspring. And that is the way that we are all to live, facing death. We should face death 
not with a sense of indifference, not with a sense of being hardened fatalists. We should trust that God's purposes will prevail, believing that all of God's promises will find their yes and their amen in Jesus, to believe that those who depart from this world go to be with the Lord and his people. And so in spite of death, God's purposes continue. But Jacob was also to trust in God's purposes in, in, spite, of, in spite of the shortcomings that were apparent. This chapter ends by a listing of Jacob's sons, the twelve. Those sons become the first sign of the fulfillment of the company of nations. This is the beginning of the gathering of the people who will be blessed. But they don't look promising. The list includes the two sons of Jacob who destroyed the city of Shechem, vigilantes. It includes Reuben, who laid with his father's concubine, an act not necessarily of passion, so much as a political act trying to usurp authority. This family doesn't look like they are going to be a source of blessing to the nations. And yet, God's purposes will prevail. God will work through a sinful people to bring his blessing to pass. And so we see God working even in the midst of very uh, dark situations. Uh, God's promise is uh, certain. In the fullness of time from the line of Jacob, the Messiah would come. He would be born into this world. He would conquer death through his own death on the cross. He would draw all people unto himself by being lifted up on a cross. And he would give confirmation of God's blessing when he was raised from the dead. God's promise to Abraham and then to Jacob to gather a company of nations a gathering of the nations, a church of the nations, is fulfilled in the son of Jacob, the Lord Jesus, who was crucified to pay the price of salvation and who was raised to declare victory and to show God as faithful. Jesus went all the way. He obeyed all the way. And as a result, God's glory is made known. Where are we looking to this evening for hope in the midst of sin and in the midst of death? Jacob told his family to look to the God who has been with me wherever I have gone. The God who has been faithful to his promises. The God of grace. We are to do the same. The God who has shown himself to being faithful to his people. A God who has been with us through sin and through death. And when we think about the Lord Jesus, we see someone who was with us and dwelt among us in a sinful world in order to overcome death. This is 
the God we are to trust in. Are we trusting in him this evening? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who has shown yourself to being faithful. And we pray, Lord, that we would be enabled by your spirit to trust in you through death, through sin, through our failings. We pray, Lord, that we would cling to your purposes. And we thank you that in Christ we can see the purposes of God revealed. So go before us, we pray, and bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen.